0: Lasso lowdown. We give the lowdown with all things Ted Lasso. I am your host, Lee. I am here. I am joined by my co host, Spencer Spencer. How are you?
1: Doing well, man. Excited after what feels like a very, very long time to be back with this show.
0: It's a very long time. I think that they threw in a little joke about how long it had been right at the beginning. We'll get to it during the recap. But I think they even acknowledge that it's been well over a year and a half now since we've had any Lasso. But we've finally got it. Season three, episode one premiered. It smells like Mean Spirit. I'll tell you, I, before, yeah, I, you normally just throw it right to you and ask what you think. I'm going to go ahead. And, I'm going to go ahead. Now, I'm not going to bury the lead. This felt very lasso. Like, I just felt like the show. Very lasso. It's like the show never stopped. Like, it it, it, it feels very much in gear. You know, sometimes shows have to, like, it's almost like a car car getting going again. They have to get in first, second, yeah. third. And then it didn't really a, feel a like car. a new season until, until like the third or fourth episode. This felt like they were right in the groove from the very start. What did you think?
1: I very much agree. It felt like a very traditional, well-done Ted Lasso episode. It checked, the, it, checked, it checked the boxes, it was enjoyable, it was folksy. But I think some aspects of the folksy just felt like they were dialed up to 11 for the sake of the return. We know it's been a while, so we're going to give you some extra, so, just so you enjoy it. I, I had a couple complaints that we'll get to, but I, I thought it was a very solid intro to the season. It, was, it filled me with that Ted Lasso charm from start to finish.
0: Yeah, I, I kinda had the same feeling. And there was there was of course the the big rising lasso moment where Ted becomes you know, Ted goes above it during the press mm-hmm. conference and you know, like I'm 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 getting wistful and tearing up and excited for my character to show everybody the good moral compass, you know, the the, the right way to go, the positive path, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were right the in rise the above. right from the very beginning. I feel like they didn't they did not miss any they did not miss any time. So if this is your first time joining us here on the Last Lasso Lowdown, this is the Mangum Talks podcast. You can check out all of our stuff by going to mangumtalks.com or going to your favorite podcast platform and typing in Mangum Talks. Those are the keywords and you'll get all of our podcasts. Spencer and I do an awful lot of television review podcast. We just wrapped up The Last of Us. We did Mangum Talks, The Last of Us. We are going to be doing Succession over on a podcast feed called Line of Succession when Succession premieres later this month. But we will be with you as we were for season one, as we were for season two. For season three, every single episode, every week here on The Lasso Lowdown. And we will be back to our normal format. That means segments, segments galore. We will start with Biscuits with the Boss, where Spencer usually brings a sweet treat for us to the podcast. I'll do tea time with Lee, where I attempt to convince Ted that tea is not quite as bad as he believes it is. That's hot tea is. And then we'll go to a recap with Spencer. I kind of switching switching things up here on the Magnetos Podcast Network. It's the only podcast that Spencer leads a recap. I'm very excited to hear him do that, come out of retirement for a recap today. Then we will go to our Sports Center top 10, where we will pick 10, 10 on the nose, always 10, never nine, never eleven, things that we liked or thought were interesting about the episode. And then we will wrap up. With everybody's favorite segment, Train Wreck of the Episode. And I have got a stellar nominee for Train Wreck of the Episode. I can't wait till we get there. I have I got can't... an absolute name in mind.
1: I'm baffled. I haven't even the slightest clue of who you might be going for here. I can't even picture someone that I think might be, you know, actively sprinting headfirst into a wall when it comes to this episode.
0: Yeah, they might, they might be hiding under a table, spitting on their own shoe. Yeah, fucker, mate. Yeah, so that's that's what we're going to do here on The Lasso Lowdown. We do this every week. We review every Lasso episode. If you like the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe. Please do all that stuff. Give us your feedback. We like that. Spencer and I are... We will tell you repeatedly we're podcast professionals, but in a technical sense, we're not really podcast professionals. We do not get paid to do this. We do this for fun. We're here every week because we hope it makes your week better and your viewing experience at the television show better. So give us your feedback. Let us know what you think. If we say something off the rails, something you don't like, go to give us a Drop us a line. Let us know what you think or go to Twitter and follow us at, at MangumTalks and let us know. What you think, we got a lot of feedback last season. There were some very controversial moments during the plot of last season. I'm sure we'll get a lot of that this season. But before we get into anything controversial or we get into our recap for the episode, Spencer, did you bring us a sweet treat? I did. For Biscuits with the Boss.
1: I don't know about you, but I'm coming out of what was every year Girl Scout season, where with my coworkers, they diligently walk the halls with their kids, selling off delicious treats. I bought Absolutely love it more than a truly necessary amount of boxes of varying kinds. And I decided to bring Share my to you. favorite. I like to support, you know, and also they're utterly delicious. That helps too. I brought my favorite Girl Scout cookie on the podcast. But before I reveal it, I want to hear from you. What is the best Girl Scout cookie? Let's see if we match.
0: Here's the thing about Girl Scout cookies. There's really not a bad Girl Scout cookie. Whoever's doing the vetting, who's approving them to get on the main roster of Girl Scout cookies, that is a very that's they scrutinize that really well because they don't let anything on the main roster that's not good. So I'll just say I like all of them, but I think the OG the best. You know, I, I always say that you know things are cliches for a reason. Well, Mm -hmm. Thin Mints are the best, my friend. Thin Mints are just the best.
1: And I present to you ice-cold, frozen-in-the-freezer Thin Mints that I will be happily nomming on throughout the entire episode with just utter bliss.
0: The best, yeah, they're cliche cliche for a reason. Thin mints are the best. They even got thin mint ice cream now, where they they're actually partnering with Girl Scout, uh, and the, you can get Girl Scout cookie, uh, actual thin mints chopped up and put into your ice cream. It's kind of exciting.
1: Uh, I got to ask now: Would you, will you buy me a new set of pants to accommodate my expanding waistline? Now that you've informed me that such a thing exists in the world, I did not know about this.
0: Now this is really interesting because I feel like you do. There's some nostalgia. Attached to the Girl Scout cookies, you Mm -hmm. probably like the idea of supporting your local Girl Scout troop and Uh whoever's kid is being walked around, but you're also notoriously cheap. So I want to see how these two things collide. (laughs) How many boxes did you buy this year? What is the total number of boxes you bought this Girl Scout cookie season?
1: I I want you to go an over under on 10 boxes.
0: Ooh, ooh! Uh, I'm gonna go under 10 boxes.
1: It was nine boxes. I bought nine boxes of Girl Scout cookies.
0: Nine boxes—that's more than I bought this year. So, shout out to you! All right, that's biscuits with the boss. Look, if you bring Girl Scout cookies every week, I will not complain. I'm a big Girl Scout
1: cookie fan. I've got some saved. We've we can cover a few weeks here.
0: So, for tea time with Lee this week, I have brought a tea to the episode where I've talked in the, the previous seasons about how there's really not as many types of tea as people think there are. There's basically one tea plant, and it's when that plant gets harvested and what they do to dry the leaves Mm -hmm. that differentiates all of the different teas, right? So like if you compare it with something like, I don't know, like alcohol, right? Like there's a bajillion different ways to ferment and create alcohol. There's really not that many different ways to create tea. So what we have in the tea market is what I, I call them like faux teas, where they use a product that isn't really the tea plant, to create something that's kind of like tea. So the, the example that we had in previous seasons is I had rooibos tea on the podcast, which it's is from the rooibos right. plant. It's not from the tea plant. There's no caffeine in it because it's not from the tea plant, but people kind of brew it and treat it as tea. I have the same similar thing this week. And it is it is apropos since we just finished up season one of The Last of Us. I have a tea with a reishi mushroom.
1: Rishi this is a
0: reishi mushroom? mushroom tea.
1: We're just coming that, off The Last of Us and you're doing a mushroom tea.
0: I am. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and it, this is this is marketed by the Republic of Tea, which, you know, it's a pretty good tea company. Again, you know, things are usually popular for a reason. Republic of Tea is pretty solid. As Restore and Reset, and that's what we're doing here Aww. for episode one of the season. We're resetting. We're getting back in the groove. So I figured I would restore and reset with my Rishi mushroom tea with cocoa. This has cocoa in it. No, no caffeine, because no no tea plant, right? So no caffeine. It's meant to just be one of those sort of like unctuous, umami, res, restore your soul type things.
1: Nice. Thematically appropriate. Uh, Got to give you credit again for the rooibos tea. My mom tried it for the first time when she was visiting recently, and I sent her back with half a box. She enjoyed it so much.
0: I'm uh, that So that says a couple of things. One, that you like rooibos tea. Two, that you're generous with your mother, which, shout out to you. But three... Continues to drive home just how much Robust tea I did send you.
1: <laughs> you. You sent me a pallet of Robust tea, and it has been appreciated for the year and a half I've had it.
0: So this is the Republica Tea Restore and Reset Reishi Mushroom with Cocoa. And it's an interesting tea because it smells like hot chocolate, and it does not taste like hot chocolate at all. So it's a very strange, huh. it's a bizarre thing where you're smelling it, you're smelling cocoa, 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 and then you, you drink it, and it smells, it kind of tastes like mushroom tea.
1: I'm curious. We we both agree on just the wonder that is thin dense. What is your opinion on the tea?
0: It's fine. You know, like I, I tend to drink tea, coffee, soda, pretty much most everything I drink is for some sort of an effect. If I'm not drinking for effect, I'm usually drinking water. Sure. So, you know, the fact that it doesn't have any caffeine in it right away, just kind of throws it out for me. But I think if you're looking for like a, you know, a warm cup of something, um To make you feel feel good, feel restored, maybe like post spa, something like that. This might be a good mm. tea for you. Y- you don't need to ever buy it, Spencer. It's nothing, nothing. <laughs> really but I think there are some people who might like it. Rishi mushroom tea with cocoa. Nice.
1: Well, so now that we have our comfort right. foods, our comfort drinks, shall I give you a bit of a recap of what we watched this week?
0: All right, recap with Spencer. Take it away.
1: Well, smells like mean spirit. Continuing a trend of naming episodes after song titles. Uh, this episode starts with a bit of a red herring of where is it's a cold open, as the show likes to do, yep. of, of what is decidedly misleading, of where it is Ted at an airport, PA call saying last boarding to yep. Kansas City, paging yep. lasso. He's looking worn out. He's looking morose. There's a message from his ex-wife seemingly coming on his phone, wishing him a good flight and saying she loves him we're baffled, we're confused, we're assuming that there's a jump forward that's happening, that we're going to then flash back to the, and then find out what that means as the season goes forward. And then fairly quickly, we realize that this is all for his son, Henry, who's been visiting him for the last six weeks during the course of the uh, interseason break. Correct. They make it to the desk, they discuss the ever-distracting influence, which is, which is Nintendo, and I'm not even a Nintendo gamer, and I will fully agree that Nintendo can encapsulate your attention like few other things out there. Uh, with the uh, flight attendant helpfully offering that she once held an entire flight to Sydney hostage until she finished the final level of Breath of the Wild. Zelda fan, congrats. Which, I agree with Ted, is a bit of a troublesome sentence to say in an airport, but, you know, kudos. I appreciate you. Yeah. Henry re- reveals himself as another precocious child. Now, I mentioned there were some things about this episode I didn't like, and this is a trope that this show loves that I'm not fond of. And I'm kind of disappointed to see Henry follow the same route of where it just when they have kids talking, it doesn't feel like natural kid dialogue. It may tap into the fact that the overall dialogue on the show isn't the most is intentionally not the most natural. It's rather stylized and it doesn't work as well coming out of a kid. The flight attendant asks him, are you excited to be flying home? And he responds to all my toys. Yes. To my country's political landscape. Not so much. I've never heard a ten-year-old say that. It's possible they would. Didn't feel very authentic coming out of this kid, but whatever. Apparently, Ted falls asleep with CNN going.
0: I mean, I feel like you answered your own question there because, like, none of the—I mean, you—you don't hear anyone in the world talk like Ted talks. Like that doesn't—that's not normal at all. Of course not. I think that the the show purposely purposefully writes to be surrealist right in in the dialogue and so it's not supposed to be realistic i think that whoever is in charge of the show jason sudeikis i think is the is the main guy i think they just think that kids have like more wisdom maybe than you would expect so they tend to have wisdom coming from children i think that it's so much more direct and well-spoken than we're used to with kids, that it, it really does come off as kind of jarring. I, I agree with you. I don't really love the trope either, but I do think you kind of answered your own question about like, well, no, that that's not realistic with the kid. But at the same time, like nobody on the show talks realistically.
1: No, it, it's in-universe. Everyone is everyone is kind of talking like they're a character in a play and that's just the style the show is written in.
0: There's one person on the show that I think talks realistically, like a person on earth would really talk like. Do you have any guesses as who I might be thinking about?
1: No, actually, who?
0: Roy, Roy, Roy. Roy talks like, a bit
1: more realistically.
0: Yeah, he's pretty down to earth and like this. Ah, fuck off! Like, I mean, that's a that's a thing I've we, heard before.
1: We'll, we'll meet a character Barbara later, and I almost felt like Barbara was a realistic person that was trying to insert herself into this universe, and we just saw how grating that was to have a person who's actually just focused on you know the business running well try to operate in the Ted Lasso world. But we'll get to her uh,
0: yeah, to make everything pretty and smell nice.
1: No, no, no. Fu- funerals and doomed relationships only. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's uh, funny. Henry gives, uh, gives Ted a tiny little Premier League trophy, which we later learn is part of the single best Lego set ever known to man. And I better believe that they're manufacturing this because I will buy it for people. Uh, Definitely
0: not the best Lego set ever known to man. There's there's I'm I mean, exaggerating. The the, Death Star. You've got the I mean, there's so many great Star Wars ones. Shout out Megam oh, Talk Star Wars. There's uh, so many great Star Wars ones. I would buy this one though. I yeah. do love Lego. I would buy this but, one, but there's some there's some great Lego
1: uh, sets out there. I, I I'm clearly exaggerating. My favorite growing up, my parents got me the entire friggin' Lego pirate ship. Like the big one with two masts.
0: Oh boy. I, that was big. That's like over a thousand pieces.
1: I, I was I was a very popular nine year old kid. Um Gives him a little tiny little Premier League trophy, and they share a moment, which is interesting, of where this is the first of several of we see a very odd reaction from Ted on the subject of women. Yeah. The first of several We appears to have a certain mental block, a crisis of confidence, and we'll get into more of that later. As well as indicating that Ted is in, any, is in no manner fully over his ex-wife, given that he directs Henry to tell her that he loves her, which... As we heard from her previously, is not something that she's particularly fond to hear from him. Regardless, they share sad goodbyes with Ted clearly struggling. Well, hold on, I hold ago. on. I,
0: I, can we can we pause there because I, I couldn't. I went back and forth on if that was healthy or not because I do think that like part. Yes, Ted is not over her. We get that in the last. Ted, Ted is not that
1: over, and she has specifically way. indicated that she d- is not comfortable repeating it back to him, and is not particularly comfortable hearing it from him.
0: But okay. So you're, you're focusing on the, I love you part of this. Yes. Because I think that like the idea that you say, Hey, give your mom a big hug for me. Tell her, you know, I'm thinking about her. I care about her, et no cetera. Problem. Okay. So your, your problem is the, I love you part of that. Like because yes. everything up till that, I feel like might just be him reinforcing to his child. Still got a good relationship with your mother. Still care about her. Like we're still friends. We're still locked up and raising you, et cetera. And that is not altogether unhealthy unless Nowhere. i think it's an outright lie if it's an outright lie then, then it's not healthy but if if, the, if the, you're reinforcing that something that's really there um you know it might not be so bad so I, yeah i kind of went back and forth on that I, I didn't know how to take it right away
1: sentiment fine affection great language is a problem of what we've seen before and whether it's still a problem in ted's mind i think the end of this episode says that there is still some unrequited feelings going on there uh Ted, having learned somewhat from the odyssey that he was on last season, promptly gives Dr. Sharon a call, and I think we both would have lost money about Dr. Sharon being back in the show so quickly. Uh, In rapid order, Ted expresses that he feels guilty about his son, drawing comparison between his own sense of abandonment with his dad and the story of, what was it, Mr. Mayor, Uh, in terms of his dad having a a worker at the school babysit him, a sense of wondering whether his son is being abandoned by him in his own decision-making. It's also interesting to find out. I remember, I, I remember being left.
0: When I remember being left school when I was Henry's aide. I ended up being help, helping our custodian, Mr. Mayor clean half the school until my dad came to pick me up. He gave Mr. Mayor's cash for babysitting me. I showed up at school the next day. Mr. Mayor gave me the money as payment for the work I'd done. So then I used that money to buy him. A thank you. Gift. Never got the chance to give it to him. Cause well, he ended up getting hit by a train. Oh, when wow, I heard that, it, when I was like, Oh, Oh, this is a, uh, they're there. But the writer's room is back. That was yeah, a Ted Lasso diatribe. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that was flowing quick, and I, I, I love, I love the response afterwards. As Doctor Sharon says, "Oh, wow, I didn't see that coming." Ted, yeah, well, neither did Mister Mayor. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah. they cr- really,
0: really classic Ted Lasso line.
1: Uh, also, kudos by the way, your Ted's gotten better in the off season. Uh,
0: Working continue- on it. Working on it. It'll it'll show back up in the podcast.
1: Uh, continuing on, uh, they, they discussed the subject of coaching. If we're Ted again, this will come up again, is wondering what the heck he's still doing here. I mean, he knows why he came, mm-hmm. but why is he sticking around? Sharon points out that it is an integral part of Ted that he doesn't quit things. To which Ted expresses, yeah, yeah, I get that, but maybe my being here is doing more hurting than helping at this point, you know? We're going to talk about a certain meta aspect of this episode by the, when we get to the end, but there are some times of where I almost wonder whether the writers are, are pondering things as they're having this character talk. Uh, Dr. Sharon continues. Uh, Dr. Sharon offers two bits of advice with respect to these concerns. One, kids are resilient. True. Henry seems like he's doing pretty fine, honestly, from what, what time we spend with him.
0: Point number... Except for the American political landscape.
1: Yes, stop watching Cena when you go to sleep, Ted. Uh and she offers for the second one, Doubt Can Only Be Removed by Action, which is Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, a German writer of many things, Faust being one of the most famous and possibly the greatest work of German literature.
0: Hmm, a little book called Faust. I've heard that before.
1: Oh, it comes up, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Sometimes I bought that book via a bargain one time. See what I did there? Good. <laughs> Kudos, sir. Kudos. Well-schooled well, well schooled that you are.
1: uh, Ted... The two of them clearly having talked a bit more, Ted probes for a bit of personal information, which she previously <laughs> shut down on hard. He doesn't get much. She's still a bit of a closed book. He does deduce, though, that the fact that she that she watches a sport that has a impressive number of Australians means she's into rugby. Good call, Ted. To which she says, uh, did you write it down? Otherwise, I'll read it.
0: Rugby, what a game. It's like American football and sumo wrestling gave birth to a baby with muscular thighs all kicked in mud.
1: Well summarized Ted. That is exactly what it is. Uh, around this conversation, Ted makes a Peaky Blinders joke, which I found amusing, uh, with a, with a very dapper baby wearing a, um, a newsboy cap saying, Oh, a le- making a leaky diapers joke. Good, clever Ted. And then the, the conversation ends and we find out that Dr. Sharon is seemingly seeing a younger man. Uh, did we know this guy? Do we recognize him? I, I, I didn't offhand. Nope. Okay. A new character. Well, uh, he, he offers the comment, You've, you, uh, you finally got off, to which she responds, not yet, I didn't. To which, given that we don't recognize him, I'm left to say, yeah, girl, get some.
0: Yeah, I might be all that you get. <laughs> uh,
1: we go through the intro, which inherently makes me happy to see. I'm glad they haven't like changed the intro. It's just great. You don't need to change this.
0: Heaven knows i, I tried.
1: tried. Uh, we find out that in Rebecca's office, every single sports analyst, presumably in the UK, and maybe in the world that is tracking the Premier League, has Richmond finishing last,
0: including... I, I'd like to point out, I don't have him last. I've got him 15th.
1: 15th, yeah, okay, fair. Bottom bottom fourth. Uh, including traitor that he is, Higgins' own son as well as a misspelling in the Daily Mirror as 20 Elf, an adorable but devastating typo, which I almost feel is, again, the writers making a bit of a mea culpa on the subject of the Christmas episode, but who knows? I might be reading into things there.
0: I think that's you wanting a mea culpa for the Christmas I episode. Will add, I will
1: I I thought it was a decent enough Christmas episode, but dear God, guys, watch your flow. Ted arrives noticeably down to- Watch
0: your, watch your, watch your flow. Like, you know, like if you had- I don't know, like an underground sewer system that, like you could you could mentally use to transition Did, things. The audience from other got it. You didn't need to people. explain the joke. Things like that, maybe. Yes. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. Got it. Okay.
1: Uh, Ted arrived noticeably down to the point that everybody recognized it. Uh, he offers his own prediction, though, that their predictions aren't true, and notes that, they, that there had been of a prediction Mexican standoff, or as they say in Mexico,
0: a prediction standoff.
1: I love Higgins's reaction there. He's still not fully used to ten at six. Hmm. Rebecca is on too distracted though with the fact that they have these various analysts have picked Rupert to finish in the top 4.
0: Oh no. Rupert's going to play this year?
1: <laughs> they banter back and forth on the subject of Rupert, West Ham, Rupert, West Ham. Clearly Rebecca's not able to fully differentiate the two and Ted's trying to help her through that with not much success. Rebecca Higgins though are focused on what the strategy is for next season. They're pushing for new players. How would you say Ted rea- reacts to what I think is a perfectly reasonable idea for something they can explore to improve the team going into this season?
0: Ted cringes at at the new players. He likes Ted. Well, and this makes a lot of sense though. Like I don't I don't think this is something we should hold against Ted. Ted is effective because he's de- he's a developmental coach. Yes, I think his biggest so. su- I think his biggest su- success to date. Is Jamie and his second biggest success to date is Roy in how he's developed both. I mean, I know that Roy has transitioned from player to coach, but like he has helped both of those people develop. And that's why like he needs to go back to college, really, because like that's what he likes to yeah, do is to help help, coach. help people grow. But I, I, you know, like, yes, Ted is having some trouble around expectations and around this concept that we're going to go out and win. Like this, this comes said up. All himself. Season. This comes up. Yeah, I know this comes up a lot this episode, right? He's going to have to work through that. But I do think the idea that like he would tend to say, no, the way we get better is by making the guys we've got better as opposed to going and getting new guys. Very Ted. Very Ted thing to do.
1: It's one of the things where he needs somebody like Beard and Roy around him to recommend that Ted is very good at that. He needs other people, though, to encourage and recommend him to consider other aspects of strategy so as to improve the overall success. Yeah. Because Rebecca's not satisfied with that at all. She reminds Ted that he promised they were going to win it all. Our ending to season one—the last things we heard at the end of season one—and is pushing him that he needs to win. Ted accepts this and responds, "You watch. From now on, I'm to be floating like a butterfly and stinging like a bee. Except I won't die immediately after using my stinger. I'll plan to float and sting for the entirety of the whole season." Rebecca decides that she's going to head off to have lunch with Keelate, and we cut to Howdy, yo. yo. I, we need to bring back you. Higgins says it well. Uh, the, the team is stressing, though. Uh, Wait a
0: second. On this scene, a couple of things. One is I thought it was extremely funny when he said, did I really say that? And she said, just before you blasted half a liter of Pellegrino in my face. Now, Higgins. What? Sh- Higg- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Higgins goes. Wait, what happened? Like, and they fly by dirty jokes real fast in this show. Mm-hmm. But like, that was a that was a good one they snuck in. And then they had. The whole thing about Rebecca having to remind Ted that he had said that because it had been so long ago. Talking to the audience. (laughs) It's fourth wall breaking that it took a long time to get the season out, right? Okay. Yeah, that's how I took it.
1: I very much agree. That was intended to be a reminder. It's a reminder they want to emphasize a lot because God, do we get it several times in this episode? They want to make it a key theme of this season about those promises, those expectations, maybe the audience's expectations from season one and where they will go from here. Uh with the subject of the team. They are in the locker room, and they are stressing out on the subject of low rankings and predictions, including by nuns, apparently, which is always particularly traumatic when nuns swoop in to, you know, utterly condemn you.
0: Uh, we ain't gonna get relegated because we're together, and together we got me.
1: I love Jamie. Uh, Jamie arrives with the most 90s haircut ever. God help the man. Uh, with his own self-absorbed form of encouragement. It's what back he offers.
0: streets, back. All right. Yeah, it's absolutely. Definitely Backstreet Boys. Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, Jan Moss continues to be a Dutch wet blanket that everyone is increasingly fed up with. Uh, uh, it's like he, he offers the most Jan Maas statement ever. And previously, everyone just went, oh, look at him. He's Dutch. Now they're like, no, fuck you. Just shut up.
0: Yeah, for sure. Although when I did hear that line, I thought that the way you would do that in the recap is you would say, and actually, well, actually... Uh, you know, most of the teams that do get promoted do get relegated. Like, I mean, that is a very Spencer type it thing was. for you to drop in and say, well, don't get too excited about being promoted because, it, well, actually, it's normally true. you would get relegated to
1: Well, it. I mean, I was going to say it, but you jumped all over it. Yeah, he's right. I mean, he's 100% right, but even I have a sense of timing about these things.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't uh, want to say it right then.
1: Uh, Ted arrives to find Beard and Roy discussing Hoosiers, which I've never actually seen a sports movie I've never actually seen. Uh, And the four four two. Wonderful,
0: absolutely, absolutely wonderful explanation of Hoosiers by Roy. I finally watched it. Gene Hackman was good. Mm -hmm. Drunk geezer stuck with the team. I do have one question: Why the fuck is it called Hoosiers? (laughs) (laughs) Need to watch. That's the whole recap. Uh, I
1: feel like I have to recap with Roy. I feel like I don't even need to see it at this point. I've got an understanding right there. Thank you, Roy. Uh, They discussed the four four two, which to there, and my surprise Ted recognizes now I'm a little bit disappointed it's because he's been playing so much FIFA with his son rather than studying to be a coach of a damn soccer team eventually he eventually he will do that but you know progress and good to know that he now knows who Maradona is and that cocaine is bad for you Uh, for our home audience Diego Maradona is a recently deceased Argentine football great often regarded as one of the greatest players of the 20th century I did not know that but now I do
0: And for our home audience, cocaine is in fact bad for you.
1: Thank you. We appreciate you, Uncle Lee, to offer those things. You got it. (laughs) Uh, Roy emphasizes that they need to focus on solid, tried and true basics, proper Russian rigidity and certainty, as opposed to clever Nate-like tactics, which he doesn't feel comfortable doing, which we find out later he may be stressing out about to a certain degree, and also recognizing they're in a position as underdogs. And so stability, reliability will be essential to them. As when you- he
0: says, when he says, I know I don't have Nate's technical fucking super brain. Did you notice beard. the look beard gave Ted where there was like, we're going to have to work on that. Yeah. We got to work on that with him.
1: Put, let's put a pin in that wall with a little bit of string. Something to return to for later.
0: A hundred dog. Yeah, I got you. Hey coach, how many times have you ever heard of an overdog?
1: <laughs> uh, to which he discusses Uber uh, and that the best equivalent that they would know about right now or top dog to which the top dogs are West Ham. Speaking of. Cutting to Nate arriving at what is a gorgeous, massive stadium, which I have to assume is their actual stadium,
0: big old stadium and uh g- great theme music from Nate here. Follow the leader by Eric B and Rakim. Really good tune. I,
1: I got to ask you, are you surprised that Nate is the seemingly head coach of West Ham?
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I of thought he
1: was going to be an assi- another assistant coach or something.
0: Yeah, I was I was shocked he's the head coach for sure. I was shocked Ted's the head coach. Of these two, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's all a little bit surrealist, but yeah, I, I think it works best with him as head coach because then you don't get tied up in this because you can root against them as a just a villain like it's him and Rupert and 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 a bunch of faceless people. You can just root against non-playable characters. You can just root against them if you you interjected a head coach along yeah. with Nate. You it's would have to make that person equally villainous in order for the same, to elicit the same emotional response we're going to get through the season as the team tries to defeat West right. Ham.
1: We are streamlining for the sake of story beats rather than necessarily logic, but who knows? We, we we haven't seen that Nate can necessarily run a team. I don't see much of it this episode, but we'll we'll see more going forward. But I agree with you. From a storytelling standpoint, it massively simplifies the playing field, as it were, by having a single focal point focused around... A focal point focused around Rupert and Nate as the villains leading West Ham. Which would be otherwise complicated if they had additional coaching staff. Other than uh, Disco, who I'm going to love and talk about later. Uh, Nate arrives. He goes up through the stadium. He quickly proves that he may have even gotten worse on the offseason. In the sense that he doesn't even say good morning in response to people that say it to him. Which... Sir, we both grew up in the South. Is there a more unforgivable breach of Southern etiquette than to not at least respond to good morning?
0: It's pretty terrible. He, you know, he does a lot of small things this episode that are just absolutely atrocious. I, you know, I know the show will redeem Nate. I just know they will. I trust them.
1: They're starting low on the heel.
0: (laughs) I fucking can't stand this guy. Like there's, there's very little redeeming about him this episode. Other than his little Lego man is still in the arena.
1: And they emphasize his own, the toxic things he's doing to himself, and that the first thing he does when he arrives at his desk is open his computer, pull up Twitter, and look about him, look what people have been posting about him. Yep. It is a continued poor life choice and a desperate gamble for a missing sense of validation that he's not going to find it by means of online social media. He promptly tells off another employee to remind us that he's horrible, and we cut to Rebecca arriving at Keeley, at her new company.
0: Well, it was still, he tells him off because of this Wonder Kid joke that is still going on. The yep. Wonder Kid versus Wonder Kid. Yeah. Uh,
1: Re- uh, Rebecca arrives to see Keeley at her new company, KJPR, I think I wrote that down right? Uh, in the act of killing did... off Joe Rogan about misogyny. Yes.
0: Uh, about Rebecca. She says, I understand. I just don't think Miss Welton will have a whole lot to say about the unfair advantage of being a female owner in sports. Thank you. Fuck you, Joe Rogan. <laughs> God, I love the shot at Joe Rogan in the middle of this out of nowhere. You know Joe Rogan's watching this like, hey, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, yeah. he's, he's going to talk about that on his podcast, I'm sure. Uh, Keely hits a pitch that, in just squeaking excitement, that vibrates my molars. I mean, it's, it's a resonance that just goes through my body. Uh,
0: that was a tough one. Well, that, that one shook me a little bit.
1: While sporting a hairdo worthy of Dr. Seuss, but still looking great, she's wonderful. Uh, Keely reveals uh, that she got a great. Well, in terms of looking great, you didn't ask me, but Rebecca, ten out of ten this episode.
0: Spencer, Rebecca's a ten out of ten this episode. Oh, uh, she's looking great. Hi. Uh, okay, it is kind of a peak Rebecca episode. I got to give you that. Yeah, I, we've even had we've even had non-Rebecca stands. Texting us, writing in, saying, you know, this Rebecca <laughs> character. Holy smokes.
1: Uh, Kira reveals that she got a great deal on the place via prior tenant sexual harassment issues, to which Rebecca has a wonderful, great summary line of one man's grope is another woman's game. Didn't ever think so. I hear somebody say that, but it works perfectly in the scene. It also gives them some very unique related office features for privacy's sake, which would be horrifying and otherwise in a workplace setting. Uh, Keely though.
0: A little Matt Lauer situation.
1: <clears throat> uh, Keely though is decidedly overwhelmed by her busy life and immediately breaks down in tears upon realizing that she effectively has had to schedule her own opportunities to cry, and the fact that she's now crying means that she double booked her time to talk with Rebecca. Keely, not in a great state. We learn later Question. some other factors may, which may be going into that, but what's set now is that she's overworked.
0: Question for you, Spencer. You're notoriously busy. Um, Do you ever have to book time to just sit at your desk and cry? Is that something you've done before?
1: Has not happened. Nope. I cry through the other work. I don't reserve time for crying. I don't have time for that.
0: Now you're just bragging.
1: Well, yeah, of course. Uh, The team in training, uh, dealing with more with revelations that even Paddington Bear has picked them to end last, which may or not. Uh, and and also that Paddington Bear may or not be real, to which devastates poor Danny, who is either too pure or too dumb for this earth. I still go back and forth on which. Uh, Ted a little noted, bit of column
0: A, a little bit of column B. Yeah,
1: they may, one may contribute to the other. Uh, Ted, noting that the guys are more distracted than a bunch of cats playing laser tag, which may be one of my favorite Ted, Ted, Tedisms ever. Uh, recommends that they take the, that they take the class outside today which if you needed more evidence that these are college coaches oh fresh that, air that that line gives you a hint uh, they discuss that their bus driver apparently lives on site and is a f- very recently former cult leader just dealing with that if, did as the, as the bus guy been a character really before i mean they've had a bus but uh, I, I,
0: I don't remember kenneth from before now
1: uh Ted encourages all the team to run as fast as they can other than, uh, to the bus. Other than Roy, who walks like the friggin' Terminator to follow them. To follow them as they go.
0: They all heard the pundits saying we suck. Roy, fuck pundits. Wait, you were a pundit. Yeah, all we did was talk shit and eat fucking meringues. God, Roy has some good lines. All we did is talk shit and eat fucking meringues.
1: G- Got to be honest, sounds like a great job. Uh, back
0: that's with, kind of what we're doing now, right? I mean, you're just sitting there talking shit, eating cookies Sir, <laughs> I, I am eating
1: thin bits, far better than meringue
0: It's very, very similar
1: uh, Back with Keeley and Rebecca They are discussing how crying is an orgasm for the soul Now, I wouldn't have put it that way But sir, where do you stand on that particular philosophy? Is crying an orgasm for the soul, as they say?
0: Well, I don't even know what that phrase means An orgasm for the soul just that, that's, Go on, that's just a,
1: interpret it as you will
0: yeah, that's just some sort of uh fancy fancy right. Here's the thing. Crying is really helpful for people, I think, and for me personally. Like I think I think for most people, if you can you can just let yourself cry and then just move on, uh yeah, I think it can be really helpful. I think I obviously, you know, a lot of men are sad he can't bring themselves to do it. Uh, not to say men are some sort of victims or something. I mean we have pretty much the advantage in every other aspect of the world. but this one thing men are grown up told they're not allowed to do, and I would that would venture a little Uncle Lee out there to the men. Maybe cry more. Spencer, maybe you should actually schedule some time to cry. I think it uh, I think it actually does help people. Uh, in
1: terms of times I cry, I cry primarily during movies. I cry in response to like other people's emotions or media emotion, um, uh, emotions media are giving me. I don't cry much of my own time and from my own emotions. And that's probably pathological. and needs to be addressed and looked at, but it's how I go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is probably a problem because you're probably thinking like subliminally like other things, other people's emotions more important than your own question for you. When was the last time you actually did cry at a movie or a television show or some piece of media?
1: Oh, let's see here.
0: So while you think about it, I'll tell mine. I recently watched The Whale with Brendan Fraser oh. and just blubbered. Ah, see what I did there? Blubbered. Yeah. I cried and cried and cried. That was a that was a really good movie. Really touching. And yes, totally did cry. I, I I absolutely will cry during movies, television shows. I have no problem doing it. I admit it to all my friends. I tell you all that I, I'm a, I, I cry a lot during these things. I don't know.
1: It has been a while. I've not seen that. It's definitely not a rare, a rare occurrence, but I'm trying to think about what was the last movie or show I cried at One of the ones that's sticking out was, was like a couple years ago, of where first time I ever watched the episode uh, San Junipero of Black Mirror, uh, Bridget and I both just uh, cuddled and cried like babies when we were watching that. There's been a few other things, but we got we definitely here's an example: um, the episode three of, uh, of uh, Last of Us. I didn't like full on blubber, but damn, did we get misty and hold hands while we were watching that.
0: Yeah, I got pretty misty at that one too. Episode three, last of us, that'll do it.
1: Uh, let's see here. Um, they discuss, they are going through the subject, the subject importance of crying and Rebecca discusses, this is on point, her own experience in being unable to cry in years with Rupert. As you may be, as you were kind of suggesting, suggests that she may not have been able to feel much or process her own emotions or dealing through a certain degree of depression that she was just having such a flat affect that she couldn't express that kind of feeling. Um, they also discuss how Keely's makeup is a threat to blouses everywhere. And apparently I like that it's a, pack, a fact of being friends with Keely is that you're going to have a lot of dry cleaning.
0: I like when Keely talks shit because like she's a perfect. She's a really good character because I feel like we've gotten a lot of these type of celebrities from the United Kingdom before. The best example I think we have is Adele where Adele has assumed this sort of like mantle of like. God-like queen bee, like almost like the, the British Beyonce type, you know, like at the Grammys, they're constantly sure. cutting to Adele to see how, how she feels about everybody winning as if that should be on my barometer. But when you hear Adele kind of get stressed or tell a story and get talking really fast, she goes back into that heavy cockney, like, you know, other side of the track, accent. And and Re- Keely does the same thing here because she's like, it sucks, but everyone has picked Richmond to finish last. I mean, what? Filthy cocks. It's like, whoa, <laughs> Keely. <laughs> where did that come from? She just will drop really vulgar shit in the middle of these sentences that are otherwise, you know, very like flamboyantly like Keely. Right? Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. And on the subject of sports, Rebecca is very worried that Ted isn't more worried. She wants Ted Call to care Ted more and be Ted. more invested. That's Keeley's response. You know, she encouraged him to encourage Rebecca to let Bartlett be Bartlett or Ted be Ted, however, however they phrase it here, as well as whether Rebecca has progressed on the subject of Rupert. They ponder that where Rebecca says that previously she merely wanted to uh, that she merely wanted to. Oh, sorry. Previously, she wanted to destroy everything he loved, owned or coveted. Now she merely wants to beat him. Growth. What do you think? They don't actually answer the question, where Keely just kind of smiles at it. Well,
0: Keely does, Keely does. I mean, you got to be able to say Keely here, Spencer. She, Keely does answer because she says growth, and Keely goes, sure. He, no, no, she doesn't think it's growth. Not. Because Rebecca really said he's not, not stuck in this. I mean, back then, I wanted to destroy everything Rupert loved and owned and coveted, like Left Eye from TLC when she burned down all her boyfriend's trainers in the bath <sighs> and ended up burning down the entire house. Ultimate gangster move. Mm. Fucking legend. <sighs> Don't do that, everybody. i Leo, out there to the kids. The the left eye move was <laughs> a little bit aggressive, but is a little bit of a legendary move.
1: It, it, it's not it's nice to know exactly where Rebecca got her inspiration to try to burn down Richmond in season one. She's lo- she's looking to the greats.
0: Yeah, but to answer your question, I mean I feel like Keeley is giving Keeley does not bury the lead very often. No. And Rebecca's saying all of this. I mean, I think now we've had two scenes with Rebecca.
1: Both of which are very Rupert focused.
0: Wait a second. How did she look in both scenes? I just I have to get I should Would like an explanation of how she looked.
1: Looking great.
0: Okay. Looked great. Both scenes, very Rupert focused. And, and, you know, Ted, I think in Ted's way told her the message that she needs to hear, which was, he said, he said, West Ham, it's West Ham. Rupert's playing now. No, it's they, it's they. Like he was constantly correcting her. And now with Keely, she's gone into the same thing. And Keely is kind of like, yeah, but sometimes you got to let Rupert be Rupert, which is not a positive. It's more of, you need to pull away you can't control everything like rupert is going to live his life you can't control it it's not about you like get get away from it basically stop being codependent
1: straight up saying just let rupert be rupert it's one of the things if we're, we talked about R- rupert can be a villain and that he is in the role of a villain in the sense that he's with west ham but he isn't really doing much right now he's just living his life but the fact that he's out there is enough to incite rebecca which as you said keely's just trying to tell her don't do that. Don't let that happen. You, you've got separate worlds and you don't, need to, you don't need to be in his orbit.
0: I feel like Rebecca's going so fast in this episode. She's just head first, just charging forward mm-hmm. that she, ha- she hasn't realized that she's already gotten advice on something she needs to work on from two people she trusts the most yes. that we see. And, and it's, it was pretty quick and unanimous from both of them, but she hasn't, I don't think she's quite picked up. on She,
1: it. she doesn't get it yet. She gets it eventually, but we're not there quite yet. Uh, Barbara enters new, another new character who is the investor placed CFO of the company and comes in to discuss Keely's flower expenditures. Apparently they say there's spending 200 pounds a week on flowers.
0: Yeah, that's what she said. So her, how, how much do you think your office spends on flowers every week? Uh, Every month, every year.
1: uh, All the plants in my office are plastic. That gives you a bit of a hint of what their flower expenditure is. These plants have been there for 10 years.
0: Got it. Yeah. Uh, I I enjoyed the, she seems fun when Barbara left. And then Keely going, she's my CFO. You know, my CFO, my CFO, my CFO. And then you see like Rebecca's head turning. And she just goes, chief financial officer. officer. Oh, thank God. I didn't know that (laughs) was. Uh, I, oh, she's the best. I fucking love Keely. I'm
1: not. I don't think Barbara's necessarily wrong, though. She says flowers are for two things, Miss Jones: dead people and dead marriages, and just walks off. Hey, she's a, a. We talked about necessary balancing factors. She is a necessary balancing factor to Keely, the person who doesn't know what CFO stands for.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure I would send flowers to somebody if they got divorced, especially if I was their employer. Yeah. Because I think it. I think it, it sends a message that like. They've done something wrong, or something bad has happened. Where for for a lot of people, they don't they don't view it that way. They think this is just a natural thing that has happened, and it's okay, and it's uh, I'll go on and live a good life. Like not everybody sees it as a thing to mourn, is what I'm saying.
1: Uh, speaking of, do you think it's a bit of foreshadowing about certain directions that her and Roy's relationship have gone in? It
0: could be, could be, uh, yeah. They're, they're they're good about sliding little things in like that. So that might have been where they were going there, yeah.
1: We also get a vague reference here to that fact when Keeley notes that she and Roy are needing to sit down with Phoebe for the talk. To which both Bridget and I turned to each other and went, what? That sounds unusually ominous.
0: And I cannot cancel on him again or he will kill me.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll see what that... At this point, did you have suspicions? Did you have concerns? We pondered at the end of last season where they'd be going with their relationship.
0: I'm going to be honest you know i'm not quite you know i think that when you get you're playing baseball yeah yeah, yeah. and
1: done that before you got right a away.
0: pitcher you got you got pitchers who are th- throwing 50 60 65 miles an hour and you know you, you feel like you can make some contact and then all of a sudden you're up against the stud guy in the league and he's throwing 95. I feel like Lasso throws 95. And I you, you asked at this point, did I have any suspicions? Well, yeah, now that we've recounted it line by line. But Lasso throws so much at you mile that minute. I feel like I was trying to keep up with that 95 mile an hour fastball. This kind of flew right over my head, to be honest with you.
1: I, when they said that line, I literally said to myself, "You th- did they actually end their relationship in the off offseason? That, that thought was already in my head. We'll get there. On the pitch at West Ham, Nate reveals that he has a night and day different strategy from Ted when it comes to coaching and encouraging his players. If you were to summarize, you with extensive sports knowledge, including coaching, if you were to summarize Nate's method of dealing with his players, how would you phrase it? How would you how, how would you put, put it on page?
0: He's trying, you know, you hear a lot of times the phrase, tear them down to build them up. Mm-hmm. I think he's just. I think he's just tearing them down. I think the sentence just stops in the middle. I think that's it. I don't think there's any build up after that. Ted only is build up. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. He, he doesn't tear you They'll down tear to build down. You up. He just builds you up. I, maybe together they could be the perfect begin and yang. You know, the tear down to build up. But yeah, she. He. He seems to be negative for the sole purpose of being negative, which I guess in his dumb dumb head. Thinks is going to motivate the other players to not be on the dumb, dumb line or be called stupid by this little twerk. But I think, I think that probably for most of them, they're just thinking, what an asshole. I just fucking met this coach. He was a kit man two years ago. I can bench press him with one arm fuck this guy. Like I think he's going to lose his team so fast if this is remotely realistic.
1: It's I also despise how smug he is every time he does something like this. The, the only times we see him smile is when he's a, when he is this kind of just childish level of bullying to those around him. Probably because it's giving you a sense of empowerment, a sense of control that he otherwise feels like he lacks.
0: Underkid.
1: Uh, Underkid. Uh Rupert calls Nate to his office. Uh, now, actually, not later. Now, uh, and Nate leaves a uh, Disco to keep them doing this, and then run them into the ground or something like that. Run them till they drop. Again, his style of coaching summarized.
0: Run them until they Di- drop. Yeah. Uh,
1: Disco prespo- Disco takes over, saying, "Just because my name is Disco doesn't mean we get to party, yeah." I'm gonna like Disco. I think. Uh, yeah, he seems nice.
0: Yeah. Better than Nate.
1: Better than that. Hey, here's somebody in West Ham to balance out the list of villains. Disco seems like a good dude, and the players, as you said, I, I if they don't rebel by the end of this season or just go on mass strike, I'm going to be disappointed. I can't.
0: Yeah, it, even it, they may not routes, want to go that. This for long. Yeah, they may not want to go that route because they might be just they might not be interested in that. Mm-hmm. But if they wanted to probe at that a little bit, like his style of which it, it he basically has two extremes. He's got. I scared of my own shadow. Absolutely zero self-confidence to I'm going to play a part. Mm-hmm. It's not who I really am. I'm going to pretend to be the wrestling heel. Yes. And I'm going to basically come in like stone cold, stun everybody, tell them they're pieces of shit and leave. And like, he does not have, from what I can tell the clout in the industry to do that. He like he's charisma. that. like, this is like a, yeah, this is like, Coach K at 70 level of thing like, you you know, you have to really like to be able to come in and just call everybody basically a fuckhead. Like you have to be you have to come with so much respect into the yeah. situation that you're able to pull that off. He has none of that. And even the questions he's getting in the fucking presser are like, hey, man, you were just washing clothes two years ago. Like, how does that feel? That's not lost on his players. No.
1: I fundamentally agree with you there. To be this kind of villain, you need a certain degree of gravitas, you need a certain reputation, you need a certain background that people will actually find a reason to find you compelling or follow you. Nate has none of that. He's just here to punch you in the face and and feel better for it. Uh, Rupert is celebrating, though, the season predictions and all the ways Rebecca was pissed about them, particularly that Richmond is Can I say something? Please, please, go on.
0: As a UNC basketball fan, I would like to point out to everybody involved here, that preseason predictions are not necessarily indicators of future season success. You feel a little bit down that we broke history with respect to this. I just like to point out, yeah, my, my basketball team was preseason number one and did not make the NCAA tournament. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Nate, Nate, Wonder Kid and Rupert, you know, you haven't really played a game yet. So maybe don't rely so much on the preseason predictions.
1: Uh, kudos to Rupert's office, by the way. It looks so much like the Emperor's throne room on the, on the Death Star 2. With that circle when you're
0: it. (laughs) I I was very disappointed
1: that there weren't those Emperor's guards in red robes right there with those staffs at the door. But, Rupert, you can fix that going forward. Uh, he's particularly happy that Richmond is 20th, uh, as Nate points out. Well, they couldn't be 21st. But, you know, it's a clever enough pun. Doesn't... But, whatever. Uh... Rupert, this is notable.
0: I mean, I guess, but it's like, it's nothing but mean.
1: It's nothing but mean. Like it's not, it's not in.
0: Yeah. But what I'm saying though, is that like, it does, it's not indicative of a real problem that Mm -hmm. they have. It's not a callback to a previous joke. It's mean for the sake of mean. Mm -hmm. And we get more of that in the press conference where he's like, well, the coach is just shitty. And it's like. Wait, I actually like think I actually think that the 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 way that they've written Nate's jokes are important because they tell us that it's he's not tapping into real life or his own experience or whatever he's a completely different character and he's just he's a heel character he's being mean for the sake of being mean and that's all there is to it and maybe that's how they redeem him is they just pull him back from that character because it's not who he is
1: I don't mind insult comics but they have to be clever. They have to be witty. They have to be quick. The first one, it's okay. The shitty thing later is just dumb. It's it's just weak humor. I, you can be mean as long as I actually find it quality writing, which Nate is not here to offer, offer as much. let
0: isolate that. You can be mean as long as I find it quality writing. That's I, right there. Spencer out there to the kids. I,
1: I'm putting that one in my memoirs. That, that's that's a philosophy I live by. <laughs> uh, Rupert, this is interesting. He provides Nate... The validation and seemingly the personal connection that Nate craves. Rupert's really tapped into this, it seems like, with Nate. Because he, he, he repeats the same things, but the things that Nate very much wants to hear. That, you know, they didn't know what they had. Letting you go. Nathan Shelley, you are a killer. Focusing all of that, and I know you'll make me proud, I believe in you. It's in, he keeps saying it, it doesn't feel, it almost feels rote, it almost feels like he wrote down these lines because he knows or has r- figured out that Nate wants to hear them, but it is notable that he has tapped into these well. Great point. Um, it's also, same time though, thing, something he's not tapped into well, he's in the act of towing Nate's ancient old little Mini Cooper. Uh... It's a plebeian car. That's among the patricians. They need to have it removed immediately. Clearly, it's there an error. The actual error realized is Nate eventually awkwardly, as all hell fesses up that it's his car. Rupert apologizes. Methodically notes again. I believe in you. will make. I, 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 I know you'll make me proud. And I believe in you. Very honed in for what Nate's looking for. As said, on a surface level, it, it feels fake, but it's still it has that level of emotional intelligence that he can still know and understand what he needs to fake.
0: Well, Rupert has made a lot of money <clears throat> in his life.
1: Yeah,
0: He's not, he's not just a, you know, someone who has gotten everything given to him or whatever, because like we've gotten, it's a little bit of his backstory and dialogue before that. He has actually made money successful. He's he's a guy who's made exactly. And like, so it's not surprising that he can read people very well and that he's manipulative. Like at those levels, like when you're, <clears throat> buying, selling companies, buying, selling large amounts of equities here and there and, and you know, investing in things, people, et cetera. You got to be able to kind of like read the room with what people want to hear. I think it's great writing that that Hubert, that, that uh, Rupert is able to do that. Like, I think that that's very much on brand for that character.
1: I think it's in keeping with what we've seen before. we saw how immediately he commanded the room when he arrived at that charity auction back in season one. We also have Rebecca as an example of where he successfully manipulated her for years As her, the only person that didn't know about it all was indiscretions. He kept that hidden for the entire time they were together until the bitter end. He is a master manipulator. Thanks, Leslie. Higgins of conflicted loyalties. His son with conflicted loyalties now. It's in the genes. Uh, Arriving at their destination, uh, the team discussed smoking toad venom, which I didn't know was a thing, but now do, uh, which apparently gives you a, according to New York Times, a 15 to 30 minute psychedelic high using Sonoran Desert Toad Venom. Smoking it, usually. Things you learn. Uh, which it's also a Beard, for me. Beard didn't seem to be need, need to be educated on this, noting that the bus driver, well, he'll be forever changed, but he can drive, yeah. Thank you, Beard, we're always here for that. The team then climbed down in a sewer, in public, during the daytime, in the open. Ted fundamentally knows how to encourage and build a team, but the man may need a bit more understanding or a bit more care on the subject of social media marketing. some city workers are right there to notice and take pictures on Twitter, helped by the fact that... Roy Kent, is that you? Get fucked! Yeah, definitely him. Roy, Roy, Roy always willing to represent. I do feel like we've seen this before with Ted, of where he does things that's good for his players, because that's his focus... But going down into a sewer in this particular moment when everybody already thinks you're, you know, number 20th, it does very well set up the Twitter post that then follow.
0: Yeah, but I, you know, you never know with Ted. Yeah, but you never know with Ted, right? Like this could just be dumb luck. But I think it does do a very good job of continuing to close the circle around the team of us against the world. Because when you have an underdog team that's not as skilled, that – we'll need to exploit weaknesses in the, uh, in the opponent. We'll need to play on expectations and we'll need to overperform the us against the world that they don't believe in us thing is so prevalent in sports. That is a, that is a go-to move in coaching. Sure. I feel like this closes the circle a little bit. It's like now, now everybody, now we're getting pummeled for even just how we run our practices and that we went into a, Like it, he's putting them in a situation where, Nobody else gets it, guys. Nobody else gets it. And
1: I get that. And I talked about that. He is good with the team. Rebecca reads in the riot act later, and it's a certain degree justified. To a degree, he doesn't even try to fight her on it.
0: Yeah, fuck. He doesn't really... I mean... He doesn't care.
1: That's what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, he... Yeah, but I'm... I I think he's right not to care. Like, I think it's better to create a sense of brotherhood and excitement and me against the world within your team than for that particular day to have Rebecca in a good mood.
1: His responsibilities are not completely divorced from the subject of the team winning and also the team making money. Those are even a coach that does factor into their considerations. Uh, Ted, however, is very familiar with the London sewer system particularly the london london sewer system tour from having helped his son address his fears that arose from the movie it have you seen it or have you read the book by the way
0: yeah of course i've seen it yeah i've seen the old one and the new one
1: which, which one did you like better by the way
0: the new one uh, well i mean uh yeah i mean yeah i the, thought the, the new one was really good
1: T- tim Curry's great in the original world but the newer ones are just a slicker production at least the first part was yeah. I thought the second one was kind of weak. Um,
0: I didn't see the second one there's, a, there's an it too
1: There is an it too Focusing on the adults When uh, it comes back later
0: Okay I'm on a plane next week I'll watch it on the plane
1: I, I, I will look forward to your review uh, They discuss that In <laughs> what is legitimately One of the more impressive Construction projects in all history That in 1859 An engineer called Joseph Bazalgette And his team built more than 1,200 miles of interconnected tunnels And sewers So as to help stop The great stink of 1858 I love this example, which is a little bit of history, of where this is a wonderful moment of someone fixing a problem without having really any understanding of what was causing the problem. Because despite the fact that they were doing this in the immediate aftermath of the wonderfully named London doctor, John Snow, uh, who had diligently at the Broad Street prompt. He
0: doesn't know anything.
1: uh, On this subject, he does had uh, diligently helped craft the waterborne disease theory, at least expand on it, with the effect of the Broad Street pump, and helped trace the origins of cholera. Wrote right about that only a few years earlier. The construction project that was designing the London sewers was still based on the miasma-based understanding of disease, that if it smells bad, it must... That is what... The, it's the odors that are actually spreading the disease, rather than the idea of actually, you know, pathogens in water, from, you know, poop getting there.
0: Still... Spencer, you are you are... You're a little rusty for the pot. That's a great. That's a great Sports Center's top ten segment. You just blew a Sports Sorry. Center top ten.
1: Sorry, that would
0: well, reference the, it again. The, the, the deep dive into the little, the little reference. That's what we do in Sports Center top ten. I, I'm
1: out of practice, man. I apologize. That's T- okay. Take that, clip time. it, and put it later. Uh, but I, I, I'll just since I'm already on the topic.
0: Get, yes, please continue.
1: Joseph Bazelgette, give, so. give him credit, probably among Victorian civil civil servants, he saved more lives than any of them throughout the entire century through what he did. didn't matter that he didn't fully understand. He fixed the problem that he did understand, and it just by happenstance and luck also fixed the actual issue, getting the poopé out of the water.
0: Shots out to that guy.
1: Uh, Isaac asks, I'm going I'm to break this up a little bit differently than just done the episode because they jump around quite a bit here, but... Isaac asks quite directly, "What the fuck are they doing here in the middle of a London sewer right now? A very expensive London sewer, I must say. Surrounded, as Jamie puts it, by poop hay. Uh And Ted draws a rather needed comparison to themselves and the London and London during the silence. Thank you, Roy. Uh, they're surrounded by other people's shit right now, and in the need of making their own internal sewer system between themselves to get it flowing away. Staying connected between the team, turning to each other for support. They've got Jamie for confidence. they got Danny for feeling up about the world. they got Richard for knowledge of wine. And, the adult and important tidbit: you still have good wine that isn't expensive. Always, always good to point out.
0: Question for you, Spencer. Is the, do they say in, in Across the Pond, do they say poopé? Is that a thing or is that just a cute thing that Jamie said there?
1: Cute, cute thing that Jamie says. Never heard my, my British okay. friends refer to it as poupee. I will okay. now have to catch myself not referring to it as poupee later. Uh, back, while this is happening, though, in her office, Rebecca and Higgins are discussing both dry cleaning costs from being associated with Keeley, because with her sheer amount of makeup, things are ruined right and left. Um,
0: Did you notice in that segment? Um, uh, Leslie Higgins says, I can't believe she wears this stuff on her eyes. And as soon as he goes into that, which is sort of a like a like a gendered attack at yeah. makeup, Rebecca shut like so shuts that down. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come over. Come over here. Yeah. Like, it was no. really it, it was a really I, I, I wish I could talk to the actress who plays Rebecca and say, when you read that, did you read? That that was maybe a bit of a gendered insult, and therefore more dismissive on your next <laughs> line, because it felt like she was, which I loved. I thought yeah. it was great,
1: perfectly in character too. Uh, Absolutely, they are bringing themselves up to. They are bracing themselves to watch Rupert and Nate's presser. Yeah, it's it's not it's nice to see uh, the classic Star Wars songs in Ted Lasso, given that they haven't appeared in Star Wars lately uh nate mm. makes the salty uh, i'm going to be uh nate has makes the somewhat interesting decision to start off the presser with a king and i joke which i got it you know kudos not gonna necessarily resonate with your chosen audience uh doesn't land and i suppose somewhat ironically nate suffers a panic attack given how much he tried to out ted on that subject Mm-hmm. We get three images that flash before his eyes. Did you make note of what they were?
0: Well, one was being thrown the kit, one was Holy the teammates, yeah. yeah, one was the picture that Ted had and he did not mean anything by this. At all. Had, had written over Nate's kit, person on the picture. Those were the two that I got. What was the third?
1: Uh, shot of the disapproving dad.
0: Mm, okay.
1: Uh, which that one's going to come up again before we're done. As he chooses to fix all of his problems lately, Nate spits on the floor. I'm sure I'm imagining, imagining his own image in the process. He emerges, coming to have tied his shoe, and adopts, I would say, a moderately more punchy and hostile persona in terms of dealing with the press, which he clearly he finds a great comfort in.
0: <laughs> yeah, he starts right out with, what's your question? The guy's like, you know, you were Kitman two years ago. And it, it was a bit of a rude question. And yeah. he goes, what? Ah. I I just don't understand how somebody who looks this smart can ask such a stupid fucking question. And you're like, whoa, all right, here we go. Roman Reigns in the house. Wrestling heel is right here.
1: We've set a tenor going forward. Uh, He works in his 21st joke about Richmond, this polite chuckling. And at this moment, the photo of Richmond in the sewers makes rounds. Now, Nate, looking at this chuckling, egged on by Rupert, who's happy about Nate being punchy, says, They probably have to train in a sewer because their coach is so shitty. You, sir, expert of comedy that you are, how would you rate that? We'll call it a joke. Uh,
0: Two. Two out of ten. I mean, it it, it does have a punchline, a set-up punchline, and it does tie back to something, but it's comically surface level and easy. I would like to point out, in defense of Rebecca, which you don't hear me say very often because I did cream her last season – I was just constantly bullying her last season for hooking up <laughs> with somebody thanks. 30 years her se- thirty years her senior, junior. even though she was his boss, et cetera. But or yeah, junior, even though she was his boss. I was constantly on her case last season. I am going to be in her defense here. You know, she seems like she is being petty about Rupert, right? But the reality is, is he's being just as petty. Like it's being reciprocated. It's it's. She's not making this up out of whole cloth. He he is coaching Nate to go out there and be mean to a team that is predicted to be last in the conference. Like you have bigger fish to fry, mm. Nate. Like you're picked. You're picked to be fourth in the conference. Like you're supposed to try to win the Premier League. You should be going after Team Three Two One. No, he wants what? them attacking the, tw- the team that is picked to be 20th and then very gleefully hands his cell phone over like, yeah, please comment on this. So it tells me that like Rebecca, while she does need to work through some of this and compartmentalize maybe or, or at a minimum, like not be so uh, tied up in, in, in Rupert and his reaction and what he's doing in the world, live independently from him. It's not coming from nowhere.
1: It, it isn't. It is also being fostered by the press because it is drama. They, Nate doesn't doesn't cut these out of whole cloth. The press prompts him on this because they want this kind of response. They want this kind of headlines. They want to poke what they assume is going to be an open wound that generates a live wire reaction. And it does, the exact sure. way they want, which is they're going to write up in the tabloids for later. The, the joke that I thought of, I was like, I thought it would have been more effective if Nate had actually worked off his Oh, joke. here we go. Give it to us. It's not, it's not great, but I thought it would have been more effective if Nate worked off his own prior joke and just kind of shrugged and said, eh, just when I thought they couldn't sink any lower. Thought that might have landed a little bit better.
0: That would have been, that's it. That's a much better joke. Shout out to you, Spencer. That was a better joke, for sure.
1: It also would have appeared more classy. It just looks so childish by comparison.
0: Well, that's the problem with his character. That's what I was trying to get to earlier is that like the jokes that he tells tells me that he, he's not able to distinguish moments that it's not okay to be this. Like it's, it's so all or nothing with him that he's going to be tone deaf a lot in these jokes and in his comments about particularly about Ted. And it's not going to serve him well because you're right. A little bit of class here could have gone a long way. Because how does? Because what does he get beat up for on Twitter later? Is that Ted outclassed him? Right. Yeah,
1: it, it, exactly. You can you can cut the, if you can cut somebody down while looking classy, you can win entirely. He, he just he doesn't have the training or the discipline to even attempt that. All he knows right now, as you said, is to be the kind of flashy, aggressive heel which resonates well in the moment, but someone can so easily show you up the way Ted does later by just being above it.
0: Yep. Uh, back, at,
1: back at Richmond's base. Nate's comments are making rounds. Ted looks at him, assumes he needs to immediately intervene. However, who is here to save the day to help the team flow? Jamie. Right, who encouraged them that, you know, this is just poopy and we need to let it flow. Which works?
0: Oh, like the sewer, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: resonates well with the team. Uh, ben, I love how
0: Isaac. Isaac is the voice of the team. Yes, right. Like you have a bunch of team players that we've all seen, right? But when they need like a moment to give, because they don't what's have every, a lot of time. What's everybody
1: feeling? What's everybody's feeling
0: like? One line for the pulse of the team. It what comes the fuck from are Isaac. You doing it's here? usually something very exactly.
1: Yep. Shut up, Yonmos, and ah, oh, the sewer. Yeah, every one of those is just. It's given given voice to the room. Uh, Rebecca, however, is not happy. As said, she is here to browbeat Ted on the subject of optics, which Ted kind of acknowledges. Like, eh, yeah, OK, yeah, that's not much I can really say in response to that. Rebecca asks, no begs. Ted, you need to address Nate's remarks and you need to fight back, which Ted had not planned of or even thought about doing it's not ted's in any way in ted's character to fight back in that kind that, that kind of manner One second. he finds a way to do it in the most ted way possible
0: one second can we go back to the locker room please i'm sorry i didn't point this out before jamie says remember it's just poopy eh? let it flow and he goes oh just like in the sewer and then the ted disciple that he is points to uh the kicker danny and goes bingo el ringo yeah Ted, oh, look it's a at, Ted joke. Look at the Jamie's influence he has got a Ted doing. joke. Good, oh, good call. It. Thank yeah. you for it's saying it. that. And then when, when Ted gets a call from Rebecca, we see his phone, and he's got her contact in there as Rebecca DeBoss. Which yeah. Is so, it was great. so wonderful. <laughs> it's the little things in the show.
1: Uh, Ted's at his presser. Immediately we see the differences between him and Nate. He is so intimately familiar with the, familiar and friendly with reporters that he remembers things about them. remembers that they got their yep. hair changed. He remembers whether they've changed that they change what papers they're working with and gotten promotions. If possible, he's even more folksy than usual. Should, should, should give you a hint that we're we're seeing Ted and Eleven. Uh, did you write down some of his folksiness? Otherwise, I could read it out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So said that, well, that's true. The expectations are as low as a rattlesnake's belly button, but we got 35 chances to prove them wrong, and my hopes are as high as a giraffe's top hat.
1: Ted, again, Ted at an 11 right here. Should give you a fair warning that we're going to get some quality Ted to come. And we see it of where he responds to Nate with kindness, with consideration, and with humor of a kind that Cyrano de Bergiac would have just loved. In the most grounding it in the most typical form of Ted Lasso self-deprecation would also showing up Nate by making, by pointing out that you can do a better insult.
0: We all know that some, that what Nate did hurt. Hurt I mean, everyone, everyone knows that this is going to be at a minimum annoying to Ted, but at most uh, like hurt him. And, and it, The fact like it's the definition of strength and restraint. Yes. Right. Because everyone knows what Ted's doing. No one thinks that Ted really thinks, oh, well, when I heard that, the first thing I thought of was, man, they really got a good guy over there. We all know that wasn't his first thought but it's strength and restraint and everybody in the room gets it immediately. And they go, Oh wow, this is kind him. of a different type of guy here we're dealing with. If he's able yeah. to pull back in this situation, it's a great lesson for all of us. It's wonderful. It's a
1: great lesson for all of us. And it's immediately inspiring. It immediately gets the room on his side. It immediately has them resonate with him rather than otherwise just try to focus on what the divide is. It's great. And it starts with, yeah, that was funny, but let me show you how we could have done better. Again, classic Serena de Berget kind of r- r- routine. I wrote down the jokes. I want you to score them for me as we go through to see which ones you like best. You ready for it?
0: Oh, I, yeah, I got them. Yeah, I, let's re,
1: go. Re, read them out. I want to hear them in Ted voice.
0: Uh, he says, I'm so dumb.
1: How dumb are you?
0: Whenever I text somebody over here about money, I still spell pounds LBS. <laughs> that,
1: that's the second one. I'll do, I'll do the first one. <laughs> I'm so dumb. How dumb are you? I'm so dumb that the first time I heard y'all talking about Yorkshire pudding, I thought it was a fancy word y'all had for dog poop.
0: So good.
1: Uh, third. That was a, yeah. He he, he does a the, few the one.
0: Uh, yeah the the one. Are you gonna read them all?
1: I'll do. It. I've been doing. Uh, I'll skip. Yeah. It. I'll, I'm doing the sport for now for three years, and I still still get a chuckle every time somebody talks about a handball violation. Uh, I look like Ned Flanders is doing a cosplay of Ned Flanders. I like that one. Uh, When I talk, it sounds like one of the
0: better written jokes of all of them.
1: When when I talk, it sounds like Dr. Phil hasn't gone through puberty yet. Yeah, I'm more corny than a Kevin Costner's out, Kevin Costner's outfield, which I found one of the most clever ones. And I hated that no one in the room liked it.
0: Yeah, but Rebecca coming in with a really solid backup joke on that one. Swing and a miss apropos of the baseball movie. Very good.
1: Um, And regarding my panic attacks, I've had more psychotic episodes than Twin Peaks. Which of these jokes, sir, do you think was most effective on you, at least?
0: Uh, the best written joke is um, Ned Flanders cosplaying Ned Flanders. That's that's I the like best that written one, yeah. Joke, I think,
1: yeah. Uh, Nate watching living in negativity does not respond well uh, to, uh, to either the presser or to other people's reaction to it. Slams his laptop shut, goes to Twitter, and sees that immediately people are loving Ted, and as a result, attacking Nate for bringing negativity and. Resp- uh, uh, start things off.
0: He sees memes with the titles Ted Classo, who's the wanker now. This one is Nate. First in my heart, which is Ted. And funny is money, which is uh, a video, actually, or a uh, still from the video of Ted dancing after winning the national championship.
1: Yeah. Uh, Nor is the Division t- Two. At, at this moment, when he's already not feeling great, he gets a text from his parents, which. Confirms if we ever had any doubts, or certainly if they had ever had any doubts, that nothing he will ever do will earn his father's approval. It's just not to be found.
0: Well, that's not how I took this at all.
1: How did you take it? Or did you, I, I took it.
0: I took well, it. Well, I took indication
1: I, he shouldn't be looking for validation from people like that.
0: No, I, I didn't take it at all that. I, I took it. I took it as an indication that he is veering so far from who he is that even his parents are His parents are calling him on it. And like his mother who typically is not the bearer of bad news, who who, who doesn't like to get involved in this stuff even felt compelled to pass along the, well, you know, he didn't like the, the cussing thing. And so she's recognizing something in her son that, is is abnormal this is not this is not the nate she knows
1: coming coming from coming from her maybe coming from his dad everything we've seen of him before says that nothing nate can do will ever impress him nothing nate will do will ever earn any degree of actually emotional connection or support coming from him we saw that when nate wasn't a heel we saw that when nate was just rising up with richmond i don't see any difference from this now other than as you noted it's his mother conveying it
0: yeah but think about what they're trying to convey with this scene which is that nate has failed, Nate failed today and what he did, right? Cause he's, he's hearing, he's seen immediately. First off, he feels bad after seeing what Ted did. He gets angry. He sees Twitter unhappy with him and then immediately gets the text from his mother saying, Hey, you know, the cussing thing's kind of a problem. I think it's all one message, which is come on, Nate, like this heel persona is not cool, bro. Well, I think, I think it's confirming that these were all the places that he looks for, for validation.
1: These are all the places that he's looking for and he's looking at all the wrong places. Each of these are designed to cut him or turn on him or ne- or not support him when he most needs them at every opportunity. It's demonstrative demonstra- of the fact that his dad was among the th- three things he saw when he was having a
0: panic attack. All right. Well, we'll know. We'll know the answer to this based on whenever they do the redemption scene with Nate, which they'll do where he gets on a microphone and says like, you know, I'm, uh, Ted was really great to me and blah, blah, blah. But whenever they get there, mm-hmm. if he gets a text from his mom that says, I really liked that one, you did and You knocked that one out of the park then we'll know the message they're trying to reinforce. We'll see. We'll see how they do it.
1: Okay, We've had a lot on this show of texts with parents, particularly in season two. So I'll be curious to see where they go with this one. Uh, Rupert, though, is is here to offer a bit of uh, validation and support because he has decided to get him a bit of a replacement for his ancient Mini Cooper. He gets him an Aston Martin DB11, which I looked it up, starts base model, and I'm guessing this isn't a base model, at about 220. Kudos. Hell of a gift.
0: A... Love that you have enough money that you just say 220 now that you don't even say thousands. Two, I also uh, want to reinforce could have been a quick center top ten factoid. Just just pointing it out. You're, you're really you're really cutting the cutting the list down here. That's all I'm saying. Sorry, man.
1: Sorry. Uh, meanwhile, Keely, Roy, and Phoebe talk. Again, with the precocious, more knowledgeable than the adults' children. I hate it.
0: Whatever. <sighs> okay. All right. Look, here's the uh, now I'm waving the flag. That we, that when we started with Ted's son, I felt like so much of the Ted character I feel like is Jason Sudeikis and what he's gone through in the last three four years that's been very public. He also has kids that he really likes. yeah like you know and, 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 you know I feel I'm a little more sympathetic to precocious kid when it's the Ted thing. The fact we're seeing it yet again, same episode. And this one's over the top. This one's like, I, I let me let me be like God Emperor of your romantic life mm-hmm. and tell you how you should be dealing with you. Uh, you know what? I'm waving the flags, Spencer. I'm with you. Okay. Too much. Too much precocious kid. Spencer's right. We'll,
1: we'll get to the details of it. Right now, they've tried to dose her with ice cream to make this go down a little bit easier. And they reveal that they broke up or are on break or broke up. The fact they even go back and forth, and that makes pretty clear that this was Roy's choice and that they have broken up. Um,
0: I have a question. If you're going to use the ice cream as a ploy to get deliver the news, wouldn't you deliver the news while the ice cream's being eaten and not after it's gone?
1: This is clearly new to them. They've been delaying it. They haven't been wanting to do it. They mistimed it. I'm with you. Maybe they wanted to put her in a sugar coma. Also possible, just so she wouldn't be as engaged. Uh, the reasons that they offer is that they were both stressed about being busy, both stressed and over busy with the subject of their new jobs, her running her company, him and his role as a coach, with it interesting that that coach point seems to be something that Roy is worried about to the point that Keeley's still trying to encourage him about, but he quickly silences that level of involvement. They're trying to reassure that Keely will still be her friend and still be there for whenever she wants. Phoebe responds openly with logic. Noting that they've been together only for a year, that career transitions wreck relationships, and that since her parents split up when she was young, one of her core beliefs is that nothing lasts forever. Is this a 20, is this a college student that is reading out their itinerary from a psychology course kind of thing? Again, it doesn't sound like authentic kid dialogue. But let's hear what they hear what they have to offer for us. So
0: I'm less I'm less annoyed that it doesn't sound like a kid because nobody again, again, nobody sounds like anybody at like a real thing in the show, but that like, she's
1: being the emperor. Of the I'm, situation.
0: I'm more frustrated that they keep going back to the well. It's, it's no. something they do over and over every time there's a kid on screen. The kid's the smartest one in the room. Yeah. And it's gotten predictable. And maybe it's just because you've called it out. and You've ruined it for me. Just like, you, you <laughs> I'm know, here for you. A lot of segments on this show. Maybe that's it. But the reality is now every time a kid pops up on screen, I'm, I'm expecting this. And they keep giving it to me. And it's like, now I'm bored. Like mm-hmm. now it's just kind of a boring thing you're putting in the show.
1: And, and it hits again in the car of where now in the car, she feels free to speak more openly. Of where she asks Roy whether he thinks what he's doing, whether he's doing the right thing. He responds very honestly that he doesn't know. To which she calls him stupid. Exit scene. Uh, how do you feel about this? Well,
0: she didn't call him stupid. She, she said, "I think you're being stupid. stupid." That's very different than you are stupid.
1: More nuanced response, sure. How do we feel about this uh, in terms of the fact that, from a storytelling story point, that we had the two of them break up off season, b that they broke up, and c that it, uh, Roy's reasons for the breakup. How do you feel, sir?
0: I I can tell how you phrase that by saying having them break up during the off season. You don't you don't like it. You think that's cheap. But I, I, I I'm not as negative I, as you might think. I don't think that they did. I think that they like literally just broke up this episode, and now they're just dropping the knowledge mm. to to the kid. I think the kid is just getting it. Pretty soon, I don't think this is something that happened weeks ago.
1: They've been putting it off, though. We have Kiwi talk about that—that that they can't put it off anymore, otherwise Roy will kill her. So it's at least been some measure of time that they've been keeping it hidden from Phoebe.
0: Right, but it's so, it's so soon after it. I don't like it, when you phrase it as they broke up during the off season, That would mean to me you come back. Everybody knows they're broken up. They're they're living apart now. Like all this action has happened we're getting the fallout from it. So it's close, close enough to me that I don't really classify it that way. I, I thought they were breaking up last episode or last season. I thought the way that they ended it was, you know, the, the, the big thing we keep harping on is that Keely basically said no to this vacation without any middle ground, any desire to do any, like, I'll come for a weekend, I'll do whatever. I'll, uh, you know, none of that, just a flat out. No, Roy took the no and then said, fuck the plane tickets and just walked out like that's two people who seem kind of done.
1: Yeah. And th- this is why I'm not as negative on the fact that when I say when I say the off season, I literally mean like between seasons of show that it happened off camera, which it appears to that conversation at least happened off camera. I don't mind it as much here because it was set up. We took we debated at the end of last season what it meant. I think we both agreed that it didn't look great. We pondered where it might go from there. So I think it at least had some foreshadowing and some buildup in that regard, a bit disappointed we didn't get the moment, but the fact that we do get the fallout means I'm actually kind of satisfied with it as a story beat. I'm not as satisfied with people seemingly turning against Roy with respect to it, because kind of, as we noted, I don't think we have, we have, we have Phoebe criticizing with respect to it, that he's the one being stupid on it. And she, again, she's always right. She's the one that's advising the adults.
0: I think that she would probably tell Keely that she's being stupid too. I think I, I don't think she is a Royce, but she I don't. Well, it's I take de- it, it's Roy's It's clearly
1: Roy's decision from what we've seen here, because Keely was the one that was looking to him in terms of we're broken up, and then looking to him for the reasons why they broke up. Roy's the one that, that seemed to have pulled well, this lever.
0: Maybe, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, she she was saying we're on a break, and he was saying we're broken, we're broken up. up. I I didn't I felt like that was more Them trying to write a joke Into the situation More than anything Uh, I
1: I, I wrote Um, it as Keeley being kind of Surprised or hopeful I wrote it as Keeley still processing herself With the nature of their status My interpretation was Roy made the decision And Keeley still in some ways Playing emotional catch up With respect to it Or not as happy That he made the decision Nor as Phoebe's it seems But More things for us to ponder Later with respect to that We're ending out the episode Ted is walking with beard. He's still pondering over coaching lost in thought. Why is he here? Doesn't want to get a beard. Wants to talk to his son, walks past his, walk past his house, though Is still very much wrapped up in his own head, gets on the phone with his son. Uh, his son catches, and this is a notable little point that Nate, the Lego is not with the rest of the team. You talked about Nate, uh, Ted being hurt. I thought that was a subtle way of showing that the Ted placed Nate, the Lego out away from everybody else. It's literally true, he's not with the team anymore, but it felt symbolic of Ted's kind of feelings on the, on the circumstances, too. Of course, his son that instead tries to push him on the subject of, well, he's not with the team anymore, but y'all can still be friends, right? Can they still be friends? Can they be friends right now? Lee, I ask you.
0: Uh, I don't know. That's a tough one.
1: I, I, certainly I'd say no. I'm going to say no. In this moment, no. It's going to take a lot of work. I don't know if this is even something they can accomplish in this season the level of work to get them back to be friends again. But we'll see. Ted is willing to forgive people. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know I don't know if that's going to happen.
1: Yeah. They also then go in to discuss why Ted is still away. Why he's not with his son. Why he's not in Kansas City anymore. Ted notes to his son that it must be for something really important and something that he believes in but he seems to struggle for an answer as to what that is henry fills in the blank he says well it's to win the whole thing ted dodges this noting well now don't forget winning isn't everything and again Almost, I feel like this is a bit meta. I feel like the show is in some ways talking about itself and fan expectations after the end of the first season, about what they wanted, about what they expected, about what they were looking forward to. Maybe is it the show pondering its purpose and what a meaningful ending of the show could be? Is it what we telegraphed at the end of the first season? Is it just something that would be more impactful for our actual title character and what he's been going through? I feel like this in some ways is a meditation by the writers in that subject, done through an audience surrogate in the form of Henry. How do you feel? Am I talking on my ass? What do you think about that?
0: No, I agree. I agree with you.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, Henry pushes that regardless of whether, you know, winning is and everything, he's got to try. Before notably revealing that he's wearing Thanos' glove, the Infinity Gauntlet.
0: Yeah, yeah. But so before we get to the new new villain of the show, the the, the, the friend, (laughs) the friend of the way. Mommy's friend. uh, I I think that the you know part of what's going on with Ted is I think a pretty a pretty human thing very, which is very. he's searching for a purpose to be there and he he doesn't want the purpose to be winning because by doesn't, doesn't all, matter to all by all, well, by all objective measure, he shouldn't expect to win, right? So yeah. he doesn't want to set himself up for failure. Like you don't want to set that as the goal when you are you're ranked preseason zero, and you're like, oh yeah, but all the whole reason I'm over here is to win. And, so and I he's think he's, he's never trying to about winning anyway. That's part of it. That's part of it too. But I also just don't think he thinks it's very realistic. So sure. there, yeah. So I, I don't. And I don't know if his son's right here. I don't know if this concept of, well, dad, you know, you have to try and win, win, you know, you have to try. Of course he has to try to win, but I do think it's probably helpful for Ted to come up with a different barometer, to come up with a different thing that is success that other than winning the fucking premier league, because it's probably, I mean, it'll happen on the show, but it wouldn't happen in real life. So he would need to figure out some other reason to be some other reason to be there.
1: Yeah, and I think his original reasons for being here are no longer in effect. I mean, we heard him say back in season two, season one even, that his reasons for coming were to get as far away as possible, that his wife wanted distance, and this was a symbolic and literal way to accomplish that. Now the relationship with his wife is over, the relationship he's trying to preserve, the relationship that means more than anything to him is that with his son. And his son is on the other side of the pond in a very literal sense. His reasons for being here have disappeared. Now he's trying to ponder why is he still maintaining this other than just for the sake of momentum just for the sake of you know rolling downhill is that why this is still happening it's not what he really values anymore what he's focused on that's a crisis of confidence that i think is really tying into the whole concept of winning and what he wants to be with his team and what his own motivations are i think rebecca is keely's correct to let ted be ted but i think rebecca is not wrong to say that ted's Struggling himself with motivation right now in a lot of ways. What really doesn't help is the reveal that the uh, Thanos' glove was a gift from Jake, mommy's friend. I ask you, sir, how would you describe Ted's reaction to that information?
0: Well, when when Jake heard that Harry Styles—I mean Jake—when uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ted heard heard Harry Styles was um, hanging out with his his old girlfriend. Uh-huh, he didn't he uh-huh. didn't take it well. He didn't take it well. And um He I seemed that, he seemed know,
1: hurt. Surprised and hurt.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised that the idea of another romantic like that of his ex having a romantic interest has bled its way into the show, considering what's oh, happened with sure. Jason Stokes in real life. Uh so yeah, I, I'll be interested to see if because like if I had a friend going through the same thing. And they came to me and they were like, yeah, she's dating again. And I could tell there was an emotional reaction. I'd be trying to figure out if it's one of two paths, if it's the path of they're upset because they truly thought there was a chance they'd get back together and they were holding out hope for a romance in the future. Or is it just sort of nonsensical residual anger? Yeah. That, that sometimes comes out in these things. When people what? move on with their life, if you haven't moved on in quite the same Definitely. way, you're not on the same timeline, sometimes you can get resentful. All of that stuff isn't necessarily logical. The first part is pretty logical. If you think you're going to get back with the person and they end up fucking somebody else, like, well, that's, you know, you might have had like a mirror crash there for you a little bit as far as what, you, what your reality is going to be. So I'll be trying to figure that out with Ted going forward in the season. Is it because he had some master plan to win her back? Or is it just, damn, I can't believe things are going so well for her and look at what, what it is for me.
1: I think he's going to need to unpack himself. I'm straight with you. I see those kind of re- reactions all the time. Particularly reaction number two is often heard described as who's winning the breakup. If that's, how, if that's what's generating your feelings right now, I don't have as much sympathy. I'm going to be there for you still because it's a human reaction. But that's one you kind of need to get over and process and move on with. First one, I'm with you. I'm in full sympathy. It's a painful kind of thing to realize the relationship is truly over. But I feel like Ted kind of already went through that. I mean, he's had moments of that in each season. Like, you know, you don't need to wait for me anymore. I understand. I'll be okay in season one. Signing the divorce papers in season two. He knows this is done. It's been done a ways. But we'll see how Ted processes himself, maybe with Dr. Sharon, uh, as the season continues on. That wraps up episode one, though.
0: Yeah, but do you think, well, but do you, well, before we wrap up, but do you think that the fact that mommy's friend is
1: a much younger
0: man who's who is a much younger man who's an internationally known music icon (laughs) from Great Britain, do you think that has anything to do with it?
1: How on the nose do you think it's going to be?
0: When we when we find wouldn't out would it be more great if it was like if it's literally him? Harry Styles casted the role? Well, first off, that's not gonna work, right? But like, <laughs> wouldn't it be funny? You remember the movie Love Actually? How they had that old rocker who was like the like quintessential like oh, yeah. British rocker with the leather pants and the whole. What if it's like some character like that is just like walking around with leather pants? is like Mick Jaggering out the whole time. It's like very much a, a proxy for Harry Styles. That would be really funny. Yeah, I don't know. We'll oh, see. I, I also wonder if there's the potential that we're reading too much into the reaction because all Ted really does is just kind of grimace, right? It he's, might not end up being that big a deal. Yeah, exactly.
1: It, it's the last moment of the first episode. We have no choice but to think it's relevant for right now.
0: Well, for sure. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I, I, I was ready to talk about it. I was just saying another path here is that maybe it ends up not. He, he
1: being processes a big deal. and moves on. Sure. Very possible.
0: Sir, shall we move on to segments? let's move on to segments. I think we can move to Sports Center Top Ten. Although you've sort <laughs> I've of done a few list down with the <laughs> factoids all the way through the yeah. So, the Great Stink of 1858, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, was an event in central London in July and August 1858, during which the hot weather exacerbated the smell of untreated human waste and industrially affluent. Uh, an industrial effluent that was present on the banks of the river Thames. The problem had been mounting for some years with an aging and inadequate sewer system that emptied directly into the, the Thames river cholera. So there Lots you go. That's the, that's the great sink, the great stink of 1858. That was a real thing. And they actually called it that back then, which is a sort of bizarre name.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I, I've offered like four or five as is. I don't want to step on, step on your toes. What, what, what more no, top 10 do you have to offer us?
0: No, keep, keep going. If you have any more.
1: Uh, I mean, in terms of my factoids, I, again, I've been out of practice. I, 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 did mo- I did most of them right there. So I really don't have much to offer right now.
0: So you so you just forgot this was a segment and just blew I did, through I all did, of them. I, I, I did. Uh, I'm sorry. It, yeah. I don't remember this better. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. that's okay. Uh, so Ring the Alarm by Beyonce is played at the end. I think it, that's a very appropriate song. Ring the Alarm is a song recorded by Beyonce for a second studio album B-Day in 2006. There was a lot of talk that the lyrics were rumored to be about um, Rihanna's relationship with uh, Beyonce's boyfriend, then husband, now husband, Jay-Z. Really? Beyonce refuted the allegations in an interview, but then sometime later, uh, I think it's about 10 years later, she released another album called Lemonade, which was definitely about the fact that Jay-Z had cheated on her. So throughout Beyonce's music, you have... It's almost like she had, what's interesting about Beyonce's music, first off, I think Beyonce's highly overrated and please come at me if you want to, I don't care. (laughs) But I think that what she's been able to do is write lyrics that are icon, iconic lyrics and iconic songs for people who have gone through breakups and divorces when Beyonce herself has not done that during this period. She's like, you have a bunch of divorced people singing Beyonce songs about like these terrible life situations Meanwhile, Beyonce never got divorced, which I find pretty funny that that she's writing all of these divorce anthems for people who, you know, uh, when she hasn't really gone through the same process. So there you go. That's Ring the Alarm. I will say this about Ring the Alarm: the song does have an actual alarm going off during it, hmm. uh, like a like a siren alarm. You, did you not listen to the end of the the this episode? You seem completely no. no I I, I really song.
1: did. I turned I turned it off almost immediately after the tit <laughs> tr- chain.
0: It dropped right away. It's like a like an air siren that goes on during the song. I will say my cat was not a big fan of the air siren. Oh fun! She was she was very upset about the air siren wh- from wh- Beyonce's ring the alarm. Um, Frost, my my white cat. She she okay. she's the one that watches TV with me. Gotcha. Um, so. Then my next horse center top ten is the idea of flying as an unaccompanied minor.
1: Oh, that's a thing. Did you ever do that when you were a kid?
0: No, no. Are you kidding me? We didn't have the money to do that shit. No, did you?
1: <laughs> no, never once.
0: Yeah. So typically the cutoff for being an unaccompanied minor or not is twelve. Hmm. And little factoid about. F- being an unaccompanied minor and flying internationally is that you often have to have a notarized note from the parent as a sort of permission slip to be flying. And then you get into the unaccompanied minor program for that individual airline, which they they differ among the different airlines. But most of them have some version of what you saw here, which is a person will greet the kid during the handoff, will sit the kid down, will act as a sort of pin uh, uh, point person for the kid really kind of a point person for the kid during the flight. It's usually a, a hostess who's already on the flight, who who's mm-hmm. involved in this program, and then they do the drop off. And then now in the age of cell phones, they, some of the airlines have started taking pictures and sending to the parents along the process so that the parents know that the kids are okay. So there you go, unaccompanied minor, minor program, 12 years old. If you're going internationally, you might need a notarized note. Yep.
1: It's a reassuring process of knowing that your kids always got a monitor, a chaperone throughout the entire, throughout the entire leg of their journey. All
0: right. The last thing is we keep referencing it. Well, Jason like 13 Sudeikis of them through,
1: now. So yeah.
0: Jason Sudeikis went through a, a breakup during the period of Ted Lasso. Like when Ted Lasso started. I don't think we knew that the breakup had happened if it had happened Mm -hmm. during the course of the three seasons of Ted Lasso, which has stretched over five years, him and Olivia Wilde broke up. Olivia Wilde uh, has since gone on to date Harry Styles, which is what I'm talking about here. There's a lot of speculation that some of the saltier things that Jason Sudeikis has done with regards to things like custody agreements and serving papers to her at public events or just some of his comments about about it have been exacerbated by the fact that she's dating a much younger man. Who's an international superstar, which probably would piss me off too. If I was his age now, um, not to say that she doesn't have the right to date the guy. She can date whoever the hell she wants You know, he's, he's being petty, but it's a, it's a human reaction. I did want to point one thing out when I was researching this relationship between the two Olivia Wilde got divorced back in 2012. This is, this is her pre Jason Sudeikis era Mm -hmm. at the time little, I just found this in the, in the the bowels of the internet. She performed a one man like slam poet at a one man, like slam poetry event about her, uh, about her, uh, divorce where she had this quote. I felt like my vagina died, turned off lights out and you can lie to your relatives at Christmas dinner and tell them everything on the home front is just peachy. But you cannot lie to your vagina So there you go. put that on a t-shirt. So that's what I found out about Olivia Wilde and her her many different divorces uh, breakups, et cetera, that have unfortunately been in the public eye through the years. I do think that we're gonna probably be able to read a lot into where he goes with the season based on that relationship. So I, I think it's it's relevant for the purposes of a, you know, I guess it's entertaining to talk about or, or reference, but like more so. I think it will inform where the show goes or at least what he, they do with the character of Ted.
1: Uh, I'll offer one. I, I just thought of one thing that I can reference then for our sports center top 10. I know we're way over the list at this point, but
0: we, we left do, you, it. do you have, do you have a, a vagina monologue quote? Because, uh, that is what I brought to the sports center. Top 10. Second. Uh,
1: I w I'm not prepared, sir. I do not have a vagina monologue quote to offer. I do have, a, Tisk. Tisk. I have something that is, that is related something that's related. Uh, in terms of uh, post-breakup relationships, Jason Sudeikis famously started d- dating Keely mm-hmm. Hazel, a Page Three model uh, over in the UK. Uh, they've maintained a kind of on and off relationship. Don't reduce since. her.
0: Don't reduce Keely Hazel to a Page Three model. That's boy. That's she, she's tough. a
1: model. She's an that actress. Extremely she's extremely dismissive
0: things. of you. Extremely dismissive.
1: She's a beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. I was just highlighting that fact. Uh, she. They've maintained a kind of on and off relationship since then. And she's now actually writing one of the episodes this season.
0: Is she dating Harry Styles too?
1: No, I think she's still on and off with with, with, with uh, Jason Sudeikis.
0: Ah, uh, okay. She she wrote one of the episodes.
1: Uh, she wrote. Uh, she co-wrote episode eight this season.
0: That feels like they're having breakfast one morning, and he and she's like, "Ah, I got the end of that joke for you." And he's like, "Oh shit, I gotta give her writing credit now." Maybe couldn't tell you. Just wanted
1: wanted to note it. I found that interesting.
0: Okay, well, that's the Sports Center top ten. I'm glad we landed on exactly ten things this week, as we do every week. Ten, not nine, not eleven. Ten, always on the nose. Things that we liked about the week or that we found interesting. Let's move on to train wreck of the episode,
1: (laughs) sir. Who's it going to be? What's it going to be? I have no idea. Enlighten me.
0: Well, you think it's Ted for bringing the, the guys no, down to I the don't. sewer system I don't. because you're obviously always on Rebecca's side, and you think that somehow like he needs to be managing to her fraught emotional state at any given point. I
1: don't think she's wrong. There's better As, ways he could have done it.
0: She's she's a, he's he does it. It's immaterial if she's upset that day or not. He's trying to put the best product on the field. That's his job. Uh, so.
1: Who actually is our loser? Nate
0: is the is obviously is. the train wreck of the episode. And it's not, I, I you know, this whole heel character, people go through parts of their lives, I feel like, where they put on airs. You know, I've seen people do it in relationships where they kind of pretend to be somebody different in a relationship. They kind of pretend to be somebody different at a job. They kind of try on different hats in life. You know, hey, you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to paint. And then like 10 years later... You know, they've got like painting supplies in a box in their attic, but that's the last you've really, only thing you ever really hear about it. Like people go through periods and phases. Nate's clearly going through some sort of phase, right? That part is less problematic to me than just the how he got clowned. By not getting clowned. Like Mm -hmm. he got owned by somebody by just going not engaging. And you just look like shit when people do that to you, man. You really don't like, I mean, if like, if Nate had thrown out some jokes and Ted threw out some better jokes, you know, Ted would have won the exchange, but it would have been on more level footing. But the way that Ted did it puts Nate on such lower footing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's almost like they're not playing the same game, right? It, it really makes T- uh, Nate look bad. And I wonder, to me, he looked bad enough in this episode that I wonder if there's going to be fallout from it, from him emotionally. Like, I wonder if the start of the second episode, like, he's on one. Like, if he's on fucking tilt because of just how ridiculous he looked. You know, Man. with the two press conferences side by side.
1: And it's concerning, too, because we saw back in season two that whenever he was on tilt, his first reaction is to find somebody that is lower than him and abuse them, hurt yep. them. Now he's got an entire team that he can treat that way. He's in a position of power. Everyone is lower than him. Let's see how he goes about handling that.
0: Yeah. So I think he's got to be the the train wreck of the episode. I think we can give some honorable mentions. I'll give an honorable mention to Roy and Keely for a allowing Sophie to have ice cream before dinner over something like this breakup that that, that, I I don't think it rises to the level two is if you're going to do that, at least drop the news while she's consuming the ice cream. (laughs) Um, I would also give honorable mention to the flight attendant. Who's like, yeah, I one time held up an entire fucking flight because I played a video game. Like that seems a little bit excessive to me. And then I'm also going to say honorable mention for train wreck of the episode is the guy who is giving the tour of the sewer. You know, Ted really ran over him. Uh, you know, uh, you, you look, you have to. Ass- look, he's giving a tour. That's his job. You got to assert yourself in that position. Ted just walked all over the tour guide there. He would even had beard guessing the answers. Tour guy really took an L there. I feel bad for him. It's, it's honorable mention train wreck of the episode as a tour guide.
1: I'm with you. I'm with you. I understand. Uh, I think we finished things up then. So I, I I thought as we discussed at the beginning of the episode, I thought this was a, definitely a solid start to this season. And I think it sets up a lot of interesting paths for where they might be going from here on.
0: I agree. It feels more like season two than season one. It
1: does in a lot of ways.
0: And it feels to me like this is the type of show and we've gotten it with a number of shows like lost is the best possible example where season one was planned, crafted tight. It all worked in harmony. Mm-hmm. It was really writ- well done. And then advance. they had to, then they, then they had to write subsequent seasons cause it got popular. And then there's a different feel to every subsequent season after season one. And I feel like maybe that's what this show is ultimately.
1: Which it, it leads me even more to ponder whether several of these scenes are just insights into the writers about them trying to plan out what, how this thing can end because, They've indicated strongly now that this will at least be the end of this arc, at least the end of this this particular character's focus. And I think there's some indications in this episode that they're really uncertain about what will be the satisfying ending for not only the audience, but for themselves and for the characters to boot.
0: All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate you coming back with us on the Lasso Lowdown, reviving, doing some CPR to this podcast feed, reviving the podcast feed, uh, we will get our training wheels off. We will get back on the bike and get get back in the swing of things here as we get used to the format that's specific to this podcast feed and we get back used to the Ted Lasso world and how we like to do the recaps, et cetera, et cetera. So thanks for hanging in in, in with us on episode one. Uh, we'll continue to to work on this and try to improve and get better as we do every week. If you're liking our podcast, you can always go to MangumTalks.com. Or go to your favorite podcast platform, type in Mangum Talks. You can check out all all of our other stuff. Spencer and I just finished up Mangum Talks, The Last of Us, where we did Zombies. Uh, And, you know, actually a lot of episodes not about Zombies. It was kind of a weird show. Then we're going to move on to Succession later in the uh, month, which is really exciting. Succession Season 4, that is the final season of Succession. And also going on on the podcast uh network we have mangum talk star wars where myself and jamie are going through mandalorian episode by episode spencer will join us beginning middle and end of that season to review everything mandalorian which spencer have you watched the latest episode of mandalorian episode three
1: no i haven't yet i was gonna watch it yeah back. i
0: know yeah because you made a joke about how they're not using the imperial march enough it's actually in episode three of mandalorian which i'll look kind of forward funny. to it <laughs> it's kind of funny that you made that joke the week that they brought it into the mandalorian universe. damn time <laughs> And Spencer's also doing a chapter by chapter reread over on a uh, chapter by chapter reread of Harry Potter over on the podcast feed Mangum Reads. I think they're in book five of the Harry Potter series. So if you like Harry Potter, there is a massive backlog of really, really good podcasts that he's been a part of reading every single chapter of Harry Potter. A lot of fun, a lot of things going on on the podcast network. We will be back with you next week for episode two, season three of Ted Lasso. Thanks, everybody. We have a good